You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Back with an all new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm unmasked, Louis Fertel. Will the world re embrace me? Who knows? <laughs> and joining us. Oh, I guess we'll formally introduce her? Sure. Yeah. Guys, hello. Grace Para here, co hosting today. I am so excited. It is a delight to see you guys again. A delight to be here. I know. When did we last have you here? It's like two years ago, and it was uh, she was just explaining the wild coincidence between the two guests we've had while she was co-hosting. Yes, yeah, so last time I co-hosted was with uh, Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend, and of course, today's episode features Rostam, also from Vampire Weekend, so there is some sort of brujeria going on that I did not know I put out into the world, but we're keeping the <laughs> Vampire Weekend and Grace Para, that, that bond is strong forever, I think. <laughs> Um, it's also an eventful episode because I do interview Rostam this week and he was the first guest on Keep It. <gasps> I love yeah. it. So is it Gemini season? I feel like that has something to do with where we are right now. It is Gemini season. It is Gemini mm-hmm. season, and I am a Gemini rising. <gasps> Ira, there you go. Yeah. No, wait, what I, I'm sorry I'm about to ask this, but what does that actually mean? Okay, so like your rising sign depends on like the time you were born. Oh, right. Okay, okay, okay. So mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever actually found out what time I was born. So I think I'm just every sign. You're every sign, including stop. <laughs> Where you had in like a barn, and your and then your mother woke up days later. I'm sure she knows what time she had you. Well, my mom weirdly has no long term memory for stuff. She like she's like a with it cool person, but if you ask her what happened anytime, she'll be like. I just don't know, Lewis. I'm not like you. So, like, I, it's even it's like a resentful thing to have to ask her about old stuff because she thinks I'm like I'm like trivia, Lewis, and she thinks I'm expecting her to be that way, and I'm I'm not, Mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> and unfortunately, Lewis had a long lost brother who returned and burned all of the documents um, regarding Lewis's birth right. to take his place, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. Exactly, it didn't work. But he's still out there somewhere. So yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he knows what time you were born, Louis. Yes, but he's the only one who knows. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that curious, so he can, he can keep that, yeah. <laughs> it's not like a Don Draper, Dick Whitman situation. There's nothing to find out from this person. <laughs> well, this is going to be a exciting, so to say, uh, episode mm. regarding some of the topics. Uh, we are finally going all the way in on the Kardashians, mm. so... Which means I will have to come up with something to say about them, which we'll see if I do it. <laughs> if you hate them, I'm sorry, uh, keep it, listeners, but also, I, th- I think it's time. And I, I think, think it's time. Yeah, you know, they're, they're done, allegedly. Not really. Um, but their long-running show on E! is over, so we are finally going to talk about the family that has eluded conversation on Keep It for so long, except for when the rapper who married into the family decided he wanted to run for president. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Couldn't ignore that. God, we did our best to avoid that. We really tried, <laughs> but... Yeah. 
and then also in the Heights mm. is out in theaters and causing a commotion. Not that big of one, though. Disappointing opening weekend, but yeah. I know, which we have yeah. to get into, by the way. Latino Twitter has been going off. Uh, we have been energized. Uh, it is, uh, it's a colorful time in the Latinx community right now, for sure. Ooh, ooh. Okay, well, Grace is here to tell us all. Uh, she seems turnt. Yeah. I she am. Is, <laughs> she's going to tell us all about Ava Longoria's angry tweet thread. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably not one, but there could be. There could be. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's always talking. She is. So, we'll be right back. This Pride Month, Love It or Leave It host John Lovett returns to the stage for an exclusive Pride performance called Out of the Closets, Into the Streets. On June 24th, join John Lovett and a lineup of your favorite LGBTQ plus acts, mostly the stars of Keep It, uh, but other people too, as they bring the celebration right to you. Out of the Closets, Into the Streets will be streamed live on June 24th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Join the fun on Crooked Media's YouTube page and Twitch pages. Out of the Closets, Into the Streets sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song about him coming out. After 20 seasons and 14 years, a gubernatorial recall, a self-made billionaire, (laughs) a Pepsi commercial, a Parisian robbery, and an internet broken many, many times over, we are finally at long last... Done with Riverdale. Oh, no. Kardashian. (laughs) Yeah. Baby, we will never, will we will never, never be done with Riverdale, okay? <laughs> Not as long as Veronica and her father are feuding and Archie is... A redhead? Yeah, a redhead. I, I don't know. I would call it like a red orange head. Yeah. Uh, it's very <laughs> circusy. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, many of my dating profile bios say um, I'm always watching Riverdale because I am a big Riverdale fan, but... It's kind of a lie because I have not seen the last season and a half of Riverdale. Wait, you're lying on a dating profile? Nobody does that. (laughs) The first time this has ever occurred. Uh, But no, we are finally at long last caught up with the Kardashians. Mm. Doesn't it feel like when Melissa McCarthy ended her run on like Mike and Molly or something though? Like, oh, was that still going on? Who even knew? Yeah. Aren't you already, you know, ensconced in the real superstar universe? It's like, it's, it's like this was the thing they did to formally remain an entertainment presence even though they've expanded into this strange nebulous omnipresent thing that isn't entertaining or unentertaining you know i have never seen an episode of keeping up the kardashians with the kardashians keeping up the kardashians i don't know what the title is i think there's an extra preposition there so i've never seen a full episode of it uh and yet i feel like i know everything about their lives so i don't know if that's because the television show was effective or because they've been really really good at doing the whole social media thing but i don't think any of us are gonna miss the show i mean even fans right yeah i have friends who watch it and they're not obsessives. I, I have never met one of the keeping up with the Kardashian obsessives in my life, and I am frankly very grateful for that because uh, they seem scary. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I've met Bravo fans, IRL, and they are terrifying. So if you're, if you're like an E-super fan, where's my gun? Uh, <laughs> but by the way, 
that it's so interesting that you bring up Real Housewives because I feel like even though the Kardashians I think are likely to be lumped in with Real Housewives just in terms of the type of entertainment, Real Housewives is like chock full of events. Entertainment. You can't Uh get through an like the episodes connect to one another and you need one to get to the other. There's so much going on. Whereas on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I feel like they get to like they buy like a T-shirt every three episodes, just like or a bikini top or something. It's really (laughs) slow. I just feel like it's Courtney whining about not having enough ice in her iced coffee every episode for like (laughs) a full 20 minutes. It feels very similar to sort of the first reality show, um, An American Family from 1973. Mm, The Loud Family. Yeah, it's followed the California family, right? You know, Mm -hmm. because... It is not Real Housewives. Real Housewives is reality TV that is more modeled after soap operas. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, there's the drama, there's new characters, like Lewis said, you know, like there's cliffhangers leading into each episode. I mean, this season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is the first one where each episode is literally ended with to be continued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the drama between the housewife and the hustler is, is hot. But... <laughs> Kardashians, I've seen clips before, and the clips you've seen before, if you have not watched full episodes, are usually more entertaining than a regular episode that you would watch. Like, if you've seen the clips of, like, um, Kim and Chloe fighting, you know, or, like, Courtney and, like, Scott Diskick arguing about something, or even any clip with Kanye, it is more entertaining than the entire sum of what you will be watching, because I tuned in for the final episode, the two-part, and wow, it is um, it is like pulling up the Calm app on your phone, okay? <laughs> it, I, was, <laughs> I was just going to say that in some ways it sort of reminds me like the Truman Show, if Truman knew, was totally mm-hmm. complicit in being watched 24-7, that there's something maybe pleasant about it just being on in the background. It's gr- mm-hmm. a great show to fall asleep to, to have on, like in the way that my parents watch CNN on mute a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what keeping up the keeping up with the Kardashians, I'm never going to get that right, keeping up with the Kardashians <laughs> is for, for a lot of people. I mean, 20 seasons worth of that uh yeah there's not a lot of action so i feel like it's just kind of nice background noise i also feel like that show existed like seconds before things like instagram stories did and they sort Mm -hmm. of set the tone for that universe of quote-unquote entertainment which is nothing's really going on i am going to do it in front of you unashamedly this isn't going to key up into something dramatic that you'll even remember three minutes from now but it is something to Pass the time. It's like passing the time is the the goal of the whole thing. Uh-huh. It was the series finale, and you have scenes where Scott uh, and Courtney are sitting on the couch scrolling through their phones. <laughs> this is the height of drama <laughs> oh on this show. You know, it is very soothing. I found it comfortable to watch. You know, and I was like, oh, if I had been a fan of this. Uh, and like reruns were on the same way I watch reruns of other reality shows that I enjoy. Uh, I definitely would have seen all the episodes multiple times because it, if, if there's a marathon on, I probably would have just hit play and then done so much with my life while it's playing. Sure, it's very, sure. It's very, it felt very comfortable even then sitting into it. And what's so interesting too is the way they discuss news that we already know about them. Mm. You know, they're discussing like the divorce with Kanye and you're seeing, you know, um, Kim talking about it with her sisters and it's, you know, this interesting thing where they kept saying um, Kim is a very private person but, you know, if she's not even talking about this with her sisters, this must really be hard for her to be going through. And I'm like, 
there's no part of me that believes that she's not talking about this with her family when the cameras aren't rolling. Mm-hmm. No, you know, of course. of course. But the presentation of it is so interesting. You know, it's things we already know basically, um, but you're watching the family go through it, which again happens on Housewives. You know, but I feel like on Housewives, even when you know something mm-hmm. has happened, you're still waiting for that drama or there's like a little funny moment or, or character thing that you haven't seen yet. Um, like Jen Shaw being arrested on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City when that airs will reveal so much to us that we didn't see, right? And you'll also see a woman trying to change her public image in real time while being filmed. But this is very casual relaxed it's they already have control of their image so there's not even a lot of you know let's get ahead of this kanye story Mm -hmm. um happening on the show because they've already gotten ahead of it yeah there's no like urgency to sort of fight for relevance they just sort of exist in it and know it's not going to go away my question was do you have any particular favorite interactions between kardashians and pop culture because i can think of one that i guess speaks to what i sort of think of them and that is, do you remember the live 30 Rock where <gasps> Tina Fey, uh, they did a New York version or the East Coast version and a West Coast version. Yes. And the surprise guest star in the opening seconds on the East Coast version was Paul McCartney. So he comes in and people are just like, you know, like tears are shooting perpendicularly out of their face. They can't <laughs> believe Paul McCartney's there. And then they do the West Coast version and that same cameo slot is filled with Kim Kardashian, which <laughs> I think was an in-joke from Tina Fey being like, Fuck you, West Coast. (laughs) That's the superstar slot you get, you like uh, loser cads. That's amazing. Didn't they get rid of one of them when they put the episodes on streaming? One of the live ones, right? I don't know. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. I would assume it's the Kim Kardashian one, but I have no idea. Mm. My favorite interaction, uh, Kardashian interaction of that ilk, is is actually more of like a a maybe overarching societal interaction, which is that uh, to me, the Kardashians taught me, um, you know, there's that great meme that I have to repeat here, uh, which is that you're not ugly, you're just poor. (laughs) And I feel like we've been able to see that evolution happen on their show and through their social media uh, that really you can just buy whatever kind of beauty you want. And that gives me comfort. It gives me a little (laughs) bit of comfort to know that every month, if Chloe can present a new face, that maybe I can too. And in those moments where I'm feeling like I have low self-esteem and, you know, I'm not a natch butte, that it's not me. It's really just that I don't have enough money to be where I want to be yet. Mm. And I feel like that's a lasting legacy of the show that I <laughs> I think is going to stick with me mm. going forward. Uh, and I really truly mean that there is something comforting because it's like, you know, sometimes, and we, we've all talked about this in, in multiple occasions, but you, you scroll through social media and you feel like there's just these images of beauty that you can never uphold. But I feel like there's a transparency that the Kardashians have presented us with about how they achieve their beauty. And it makes me aware of the fact that it's not natural for a lot of people. And that's okay. You can still be hot. You just got to buy it. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, like, look, if you come into $900 million, like, look, a certain subset of your problems do go away. Yes. You know? Yes, absolutely. That is charming. Yeah. Um, I like to give people accessible beauty on Instagram. <laughs> mm. Yes. Not yes. me. 
Mm-hmm. I full <laughs> want like trapezoid angles in my face. I want to look like pyramidal prisms, etc. Just I will commend you, Lewis, for um, no longer um, taking um, selfies in horrible lighting that uh, look like Hitchcock was on set. I do, that, that is something that continues to baffle me about Instagram is that people are good photographers. I don't get I know, it. I, it's not, it's not a skill I have. And like people like the Kardashians for elevating square photography as an art form. I mean, let's, let, that's their medium, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, they're like the Richard Avedon of that, right? So good for them. I have not acquired that skill, but um, Godspeed. I do want to hit on the fact that despite avoiding talking about the Kardashians on this show um, for, you know, the almost four years that we've had it, we have talked about them because they're sort of impossible to pull out of culture at this point, and they've created and affected so many things. I mean, the amount of conversations that we've had about cultural appropriation over the years just because of Kim, you know, taking on, you know, black beauty standards and sort of making them palatable um, for white women uh, has been a big conversation that got even bigger, you know, as the Kardashians became more famous. I mean, obviously she is a... um, actress and personality in her own right but i think that jamila jamil as a conversation topic is directly related to her deciding to take on the kardashians mm-hmm. you know oh, I see. Uh, yeah, yeah. the uh-huh. first nuggets of people really talking about her online you know and pushing her into the stratosphere as sort of you know an activist was i'm gonna take down the kardashians and what they represent you know mm-hmm. well also the, the kardashians are just the easiest target in terms of pundits having something to talk about like you can always be like the hero if you are i don't know about denigrating them but talking about how you don't get where they're coming from or whatever even mm-hmm. though that became so cliched immediately that's the problem i have with the kardashians is like every conversation about them has already been had and mm-hmm. people keep reiterating it like they're the first one to think of it that to me has been a lasting problem over the past decade mm-hmm. do you think that has something to do with the fact that every single one of them in their own right has some sort of individual name brand because i thought that was actually like i think i'm i sound like a kardashian stan today maybe that is the, the <laughs> that's something that's a, i didn't know that's my takeaway from this yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's <Grace>. something <laughs> yes let's rank their brands Great, as, great. As, I love na- that. as names, as na- okay. as name brands, as recognizable ones, as ones who post this, okay. you know, because we do know that uh, they're developing a show for Hulu, and we don't exactly. know if that's we don't know if it's going to be one show, we don't know if it's going to be multiple content things, but going forward with what they've set up, ranking who is going to be most successful going forward, and who do we think is the best at what they're doing. Okay, I, I got to start with the OG Kim. I mean, I think mm-hmm. she is she is why everything started. She has the biggest following on social media. Uh, she's the most ubiquitous. She has the cutest kids. N- not just amongst the Kardashian clan, but I think amongst mm-hmm. all 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 clans along around the world. She and Kanye really <laughs> really know how to create uh, adorable children. The best narrative. I mean, the best it narrative. Is, you, people keep yeah. bringing up the mm-hmm. sex tape all the time, and then they also used to always bring up all her divorces. But now she has a new one too. Kanye West and kids with him so for better or worse he will always be involved in her life Mm -hmm. so that is a narrative going forward that really none of the other ones have aside from Courtney and Scott Disick right I gotta go uh next I would say uh Chris Mm -hmm. because I think definitely I think you're correct 
Yeah, she's the matriarch figure. And my thought is that going forward, I'd like to see more of a presence from her personally, something that's maybe separate from the institution of the family. I don't know what that looks like necessarily, mm-hmm. but something that's all hers and all her own. Uh, I think Kylie is next for me because she's got that. I think I might be wearing a Kylie lip liner right now. Oh, God, guys, I'm a Kardashian fan. I didn't even wow. realize that until Grace. this podcast. Did they hire you? Did they hire you today? Yeah. <laughs> Kylie's brand has that whole X Factor quotient of how did it get this big? It'd be one thing if she were like pretty successful, but it's like you've launched way, way, way far ahead. You know, it just Mm -hmm. like it, it feels like it happened by too many lengths. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. And also her daughter is adorable and I, I like Travis Scott a lot. So I really, and I think that they're still together, which makes me happy. Yeah, we keep seeing photos of them together. So I think that, I think that they are. Uh, and, you know, I, I did briefly um, get a glimpse of her when I profiled Travis Scott for the Face <gasps> Magazine Oh my God, I year. love that article, by the way. That was amazing. Uh, thank you. Amazing, thank you. Ira. Yes. Uh, Kylie, Kylie also, um, I feel like, is the one who gets to be the... Um, ballsiest like Kim um, because I feel like Courtney and Chloe are sort of always attached to Kim as their sister and they were always tasked with do something publicly when Kim is going through a crisis you know I mean Mm -hmm. I'm sure Courtney and Travis um, Barker do like one another Mm -hmm. but I don't think she'd be sitting in his lap at Nobu and catch LA every night if Kim weren't going through a divorce (laughs) yes you know Uh, whereas Kylie really took the reins and was like well I don't have to do all that shit because I'm the younger sister you know and Kendall's off being a model so she's like I'm going to be the one that like the internet also is mad at as much as they're mad at Kim, um, as long as I get the results of fame and power. Yes, yes, which she has, I mean, in spades. Yeah, she would be my favorite character if it were a soap opera. Yeah, You know, if these, were, if these weren't real people, I would be like, oh, well, I love this bitch. She's the scammer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of Kendall, though, uh, she's, on my, she's on the bottom of my list. I would say my, my mm. next three uh, are in a totally different tier. That's, those three are the tier, tier one, mm-hmm. tier two for me has got to be Chloe, Courtney, and Kendall mm-hmm. at the very bottom there. Because I, the Pepsi thing, sorry, not uh, awful. Legendarily bad, yes. Legendarily yeah. bad. The tequila thing. I mean, I know we're about to we're about to get into Latino Twitter within the heights in a second here, but that really set people. I can I am not okay with that. Here's my really. question about that. Yeah, yeah. And I obviously know pretty much the answer to this, but I'm devil's advocating here because it is a podcast and I want to explain it to people because we haven't talked about it on the show. See what I'm doing here? I'm breaking the fourth wall just like <laughs> they did just in the like finale. Oh yeah, uh, back here. But yeah. <laughs> explain the big difference in. Kendall's tequila drama as opposed to, say, um, George Clooney starting Casamigos. Because I feel like a lot of celebrities have liquor brands, but Kendall's um, tequila one is specifically designed to do what George Clooney did with partnering with a tequila company and then selling it for a shit ton of money. I feel like every celebrity starting a brand now yep. isn't really even doing it because they love liquor. It's, uh-huh. no, I need, to, I need to keep this going for a few years to get enough of a name recognition to then just sell it. Mm-hmm. Well, frankly, what George Clooney did uh, with Casamigos, though I believe it's a better tequila, objectively. Oh, it's uh, great. 
I haven't <laughs> had Ken Dostow. I haven't had Ken. I, I would not. I would not. But I actually think that George Clooney is just as complicit. I, I think that he has mm, not gotten enough mm. slack for this. And I think that it's unfortunate that he hasn't. And Randy Gerber, too, is in the mix there. Uh, mm. But I, I think that we were very forgiving because it's George Clooney. And George Clooney can kind of do whatever he wants. And I think that, you know, this might be a little bit of sexism happening in the media. That, you know, Kendall has gotten a lot of a lot of uh, flack for uh, the whole tequila thing. I think that it's deserved. But I think it would have been deserved with George Clooney, too. And it's interesting now that the Casamigos brand has sort of superseded even George Clooney's involvement with it. Mm. So we mm. don't, ne- not everybody necessarily knows that there's a correlation. But I feel like most people, especially like Gen Z types who would be drinking the 818 tequila that Kendall uh, is behind, know that she's behind it. So there's an awareness mm. level there that can't be extracted from your consumption of it. But also, to be fair, George Clooney didn't wear like, you know, long braids and put on a sombrero and wear like you know, <laughs> denim in the desert which is something that Kendall definitely did when she was trying to sell the, the brand. Um, so she was putting it so on. So Gen Z hasn't seen from dusk till dawn is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the second they do, they will understand the correlation. Yeah, I think I, I think Kendall just laid it on so thick and it was mm-hmm. so obvious. You know, and I think even the, even the branding of it just makes it, the, the tequila bottle itself looks like it wants to be portrayed as by Mexicans from mm. Mexico. And that's just mm. not the case at all. Well, as I think Casamigos was oddly a little bit more elegant about that. So mm. um, ultimately, not too different, I would say. But I am glad that we're having that conversation because I, I really do think that um, you know tequila is one of those from Mexico artifacts that we should mm-hmm. really you know buy tequila, but buy brands that are made from Latin American purveyors. That's that's my takeaway. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like as I've gotten into mezcal more, um, I've gotten oh, more into smoking, recognizing brands, um, recognizing the region they're coming from and it's like doing even that basic education to learn um flavors and notes and like what is actually good and Mm -hmm. i think i actually will try kendall's on tequila just so i can have an opinion on it i want to hear your thoughts yes 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 yes, yes. yes. i'll I'll tell i'll tell you all about it yes Um, when i'm having my reduced fat wheat thins if they're not from (laughs) a sheaf in kansas i will throw them right out I want to know the patch they are from. If they're from Aida's part of the country, Nebraska, that's not what I want. I'm talking here about she goes. Yeah. Here she goes. Yeah. Here she goes. This, this Wheat Thins brand, you are really working hard for what you're after. Honey, you, you, want, you want a cracker that's just got a little bit of that sweet in it? You got to get to the reduced fat Wheat Thins community. They will reach out to you. <laughs> well, I think those rankings are good. I think those rankings are good. Her at the bottom is great because, you know, Kendall, she's a pretty girl, but she's a flop. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What else is there? What else is there besides the face? I just, I need more. And what I've seen is tequila and Pepsi, and that's that's not the more that I want. Doesn't even taste good together. Mm. Have you had a tequila Pepsi before? Oh, I don't like thinking about it. No. Yes, a vile concoction. (laughs) Anyway, we're officially caught up with the Kardashians. For good. I doubt we will ever, ever have to discuss them again. No, meanwhile, they're, they're like Slugworth and Willy Wonka. They show up wherever you fucking go. Whispering in our ears. Yeah. Caitlin's still running for governor. Caitlin's yeah, still right. running yeah, for yeah. governor. Oh, God. Uh, all right. When we're back, I am going to reunite with Keep It's first guest, Rostam. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed 
to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with Glad, so they are by the people for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. (laughs) Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover, the shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. Or broke the fourth wall. <laughs> You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by, I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say, whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include, my chosen family is the best at, and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Our guest today holds the esteemed honor of being Keep It's first ever guest. Wow. Truly, first ever guest, second episode. And he is thrice Grammy-nominated, a singer, a songwriter, a producer whose new album, Change Phobia, is out now. Hi, Rostam. Hi, Ira. It's good to be here. Good to be back in the Keep It hot seat. <laughs> uh, I'm going to like rewind to January 2018, which I feel like I don't even know if you, I interviewed you then because um, I feel like I banked that interview before the show actually debuted, but it ended up being in the second episode and you were our first guest and you were just coming off of your first album then. Yeah. I remember getting an email from someone on my team that was like, do you want to do this new podcast and you could be the first guest on it? And I was like, what's it about? And then I was like, okay, yeah, I do. I want to be on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you agreed to come back. Um, but you know, you know, I love you. So I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to talk about this album, which is fantastic. Oh, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like whenever I tell people I enjoy things, people are always like, uh, that means so much coming from you. And I feel like that is a sideways way of saying that they think I hate a lot of things, but (laughs) I don't. I actually like feel like I love a lot of things, but I love this album mostly. I know that you love some Beatles albums that I think are trash, but... Did we talk about the Beatles before? <laughs> <laughs> we have. I think you and I have very different tastes in Beatles. What's your favorite Beatles album? I will say I like all of them except for Abbey Road. Okay. That, that's a choice. And when I say all of them, I'm maybe I, I mean like all of them starting at Rubber Soul. Okay. I think my favorite's Revolver. I thought you once told me your favorite Beatles album was like something like really early. Like, okay, I said my favorite Beatles song is You're Gonna Lose That Girl. Okay. I didn't say that. I didn't say I like the entire album. I think that's on help. (laughs) 
I actually do like that song, so maybe I'm maybe I'm tripping when I when I try to come at you for your your taste in in the Beatles. See, like also help is a help is a very good album. It's got Ticket to Ride on it. It's got I've just seen a face. It's got Yesterday. Okay, it's got like three good songs on it. It is <laughs> not actually. It's not actually a good. Um, the, the Beatles album. is tricky because because they are responsible for albums that are good front to back, which I feel like so people are capable of giving you an album that you can just listen to all the way through. That is very true. I have gotten um, a new vinyl record player uh, for my house now, and the last time I had one was when I lived in New York. And setting it up, and then deciding like which albums I want to play on vinyl it has been very distressing <laughs> um, to go back to playing like you know like like a mariah album that i like or like this strokes album and being like mm, i definitely want to get up and skip this song but it's much harder to do when it's vinyl so you got to just let it play that's something i thought about a lot when i was making this album mm-hmm. i was like i want to make an album that people can listen to all the way through and i think part of the reason that i got there was because there were multiple people that hit me up on Instagram. They were like, I love Half Light. I listen to it every day, like all the way through. And that kind of scared me in some ways because I was just like, you don't even know what Half Light really sounds like if you listen to it all the way through. You were too scared to like actually listen to it all the way through. <laughs> That's my confession, that it was really hard to listen to it all the way through. I, I spent a lot of time listening to how one song flowed into the next. Mm-hmm. But on this album, I was like, I was like, you got to get over that. And so I got to the point where I was like actually able to make multiple versions of it and listen to the, the whole 38 minutes. And, and I did start to move around songs like to make the order as good as it could possibly be. So are you a person who can't listen to his own music back? No, I, I, I think I, well, I can. I, I mean, I think you have to. But I do think there's also like, there's this quote from Julian Casablancas in an interview that he gave where he was like, finishing a song requires listening to it so many times that you can maybe never listen to it again. Mm. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, I have um, read many interviews with actors, I mean, interviewed actors, too, where they talk about they can't watch themselves back. But that's at least different than, you know, a musician because, like, you film something and then it's done. And it's not even to the level of, like, if you're, like, a theater actor because I guess you're never seeing yourself. Um, But, yeah, it must be hard to work on an album, listen to it constantly, finish it, and then... What do you do when it's time to like tour and you got to play those songs again <laughs> constantly? <laughs> well, I think what kind of starts to happen is like there's a part of your brain that has like a, you know, the critical component. And when you're listening, you're like trying to decide if something is good enough mm-hmm. to release. Then there's another side when you're listening to your own music where it's like hitting certain pleasure receptors mm-hmm. in your brain. It's like, and I think that's why the, those of us that make music, like that's why we do it. It's because we like to hear this music that hasn't existed before, that we're responsible for. We actually just, on some level, you just like, you like the way it feels mm-hmm. when you hear this this music you made. But something does happen after listening to it hundreds of times where 
like you it stops having any kind of emotional resonance or emotional charge so you don't really feel moved by your own music at some point mm. that's interesting yeah i mean that's so interesting to hear especially because i feel like music as like an artistic medium is the one thing where it's like it is about moving you right you know because it's like there are specific albums that I, I can't even tell you whether they're good or not, but it's like it's an album that I listen to because it is tied to like such a specific moment in time when you first listen to it. Uh, and then it's that emotion sort of always comes back when you're listening to that song, you know, and it's it's hard then to then be like, oh, yeah, I think this album is good or I think this certain song is good because it's so attached to specific moments in time. I, yeah, I definitely feel that. I've I've definitely felt that with records. I I seem to like get obsessed with like maybe like one album every year and just want to mm. listen to that all the time. Like last year, it was Christine and the Queens EP. Mm. That's a great EP. Yeah, my friend Royce got me into Christine. It was it was on like a drive home from a warehouse party in LA, and he was playing it. And then like as I was hearing it in the car, I was like wait, I really like this. And now whenever I listen to Christine and the Queens, I always think of their car. You're back in that same seat that you were sitting in mm -hmm. coming back from the warehouse party. It transported you. That's interesting. Like you say you get obsessed with like one album a year mostly. But like how much music do you listen to? Because I feel like I listen to so much music and so many different genres that it's hard for me to like – It'd be hard for me to be like obsessed with an album throughout the entire year um, because I'm like, you listen to it constantly and then something else is out and I got to listen to it. You know, I think I'm already done listening to Sour. Wow. But I listen to it constantly for like three weeks. Has there anything that's, that's stuck with you for longer than three weeks? Um, I think the things that stick with me, because I'm constantly moving to a new album that's coming out, I think what sticks with me longer are older albums. And I, they don't even have to be like, like from when I was growing up, right? It can be like, because I think that the way music comes out so fast now, and like I'm a pop person too, so like I'm always listening to like new pop music um, or new pop album. There's, there could be like a new album I really like and say it comes out last summer and then I move on to other music the rest of the year. At a certain point, then you come back. it'll come back and I'm like, cool, now I listen to this album in a regular rotation. Okay, here's a question for you. When you listen to albums, do you listen to them in album order? It depends. There are specific artists where I'll like put the album on when it first drops and like listen to it all the way through. But I will actually admit that I do not do that for most music. I will play it and I will skip to the songs that hit me immediately. Well, and then I will sort of go back and then like, so part of it too is like, I'll rediscover like songs that like I used to skip sometimes. Uh, and I'm like, Oh, I really love this song. So I feel like I'm an erratic listener when an album comes out. I remember when I was a teenager and like kind of getting into album listening with CDs, The Bends by Radiohead was a big CD mm -hmm. for me as a kid. And I, I remember like the first song that I loved from it was High and Dry. And it was like, all I wanted to do was listen to High and Dry, put in the CD and just go straight to High and Dry. But then there's this thing that happens. It's like when you listen to it like five or six times, 
at some point you just like allow the next song to come on mm-hmm. and then you kind of get into that song i don't know did that did that happen to you too yeah i feel like that's a thing that always happened to me with like um there was always the one song that i kept hitting back on and i feel like that happens now right because it's um sometimes if you like forget to hit repeat on something um uh, or put it on like the button that makes it replay right if you go back to an old album and you like play this one song and then you're like oh i did not realize how much i loved that song i brought up like the strokes earlier right and i loved the song selfless on the new abnormal and then i had never listened really to the next song brooklyn bridge to chorus until one time it played after and i was like oh this is a good song too it happens but i am a person who sticks with one song and unfortunately because of like because of the way things stream now and it's so easy to make like playlists i'll sort of like once i listen to an album like a couple times through i'll just take the songs out that i like and put them in a playlist of songs that i like for the year <laughs> so i'm constantly listening to those and i forget about the other songs yeah and then but i'm sure something happens where like if you realize like how much you love those songs then you go back and you're like, wait, is there more on this album that I could mm-hmm. like go deeper on? Yeah. Does that happen? I'm it just does. Guessing. No, I mean, I feel like I'm constantly discovering songs that um, I didn't really listen to or skipped over um, from albums that came out in like high school and college. So yeah, High and Dry is track three on the bends and Fake Plastic Trees is track four. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure that was like the second song that I got into, Fake Plastic Trees. And then Bones, and then Nice Dream. And then I was just, at that point, maybe like after you're, after you like four songs on an album, maybe you can like the whole album. That's true. That's true. Although a lot of my favorite albums um, that I still would call perfect, sort of like I get to that last song and I'm like, I don't want to hear this. Oh, interesting. Recently, my favorite pop album of last, one of my favorite pop albums of last year did that. Miss Dua Lipa. Wait, I actually like that song. You like boys will the, be boys. I, I and do. Girls yes. will be women. <laughs> I do like that song. <laughs> it sounds so like brave new girl Britney Spears. I'm like, it, it feels like it doesn't belong on the album. I think for me, I just have such like, if I'm going to listen to pop, I'm not going to listen to it with that kind of critical ear usually. That's fair. Well, that's actually not true. I'm probably really critical sometimes, but occasionally I do think. When something is like really good ear candy, I'm kind of there for it. Mm-hmm. There's a side of my brain that just loves, I love ear candy. And to me, that Dua Lipa song is giving you that ear candy. Yeah. I mean, like, I've, I've always been like an ear candy person. I mean, I feel like the pandemic is when I discovered that I like hyper pop. So that's been a whole thing. Amazing. Yeah. Somebody thought that I had a hyper pop moment on my album, but... It, it wasn't intentional. <laughs> Which song? I mean, interlude really goes in. Okay. And I was like, I was like, okay, this is like, maybe Rostin wants to make a hip hop album. I mean, I feel like all all the albums that I've been a part of hopefully have good sounding drums, mm-hmm. and I think that's like the first step to to good hip hop is the drums. So I'm always thinking about how drums should sound, should they sound real, should they sound fake. Mm-hmm. So on some of them, I'm always like thinking about hip hop when I'm, when I'm producing music. I'm, it's always on my mind. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of hyperpop in general and just like pop music, I feel like you're friends with so many people who make that kind of music, but you don't make that kind of music. 
do you think that you would have fun making like a really poppy album or is it just like not for you because i feel like you're like the i feel because like you make the like the, like the heim album like like claro you know but you're not you're not giving us like Jack Antonoff. I feel like for me, maybe the music that I make is so much about the people that I make it with. Mm-hmm. And someone actually asked me something recently about like, would you ever make like a pure pop album? And my answer was like, if I found the right person who wanted to make pure pop and we really had a strong connection, then mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I think I think you can expect that from me before I die. Okay, I'm. I just need to find the right person to do it with. I want to make an album that's pure pop, but I, I guess on the other side of it, like it has to mean something. Absolutely. I think it is just about finding that right person, and then maybe it'll all unlock, and I'll I'll give you the like sugar rush that you you've been waiting for. So what is your favorite pure pop album that is equivalent to the bends in your mind that's a great question i thought bangers was a great pure pop album bangers is a great fucking album it's a great album it is i was revisiting it recently and i was like why did i like not listen to like four by four more (laughs) that's a great song perfect (laughs) and uh very underrated britney song and in addition I saw the Bangers tour twice. Oh, wow. And I have to say it was one of the best live performances that I've ever seen. Okay. I love that. It was incredible. It was an incredible show. Okay. If you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. I'm guessing you didn't see it. I didn't see the Bangers tour. I enjoy Miley, but I don't think I've ever seen her in tour. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I was lucky both, both times that, you know, I had like a friend of a friend who, who invited me last minute. It wasn't premeditated, but it was it was just so fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like I like thinking of Rostam making a bangers at some point. Yeah, maybe I gotta do it with Miley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe that's the key. <laughs> maybe that is. I think that would work. I think I think she'd make an album with something to say. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think she always she always has a little something to say. So sometimes too much, but <laughs> I feel like I feel like she and I have that in common. So Uh-oh. I can't judge Uh-oh. her for it. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to walk this road with you, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lastly, I just want to ask you: What feels so different about this album as opposed to the last one for you? Like, are you are you happy and settled in as like? solo rostam like are you are you vibing on this new path i guess your question is maybe like yeah there's things to answer there like i do think i spent like seven or eight years making my first album and picking up Mm -hmm. that album and putting it down and i was also in vampire weekend at the time i was part of another band but making this album it was like yes i truly was on my own and musically, I kind of wanted to do something that felt like a departure from all the music that I'd made. So on this record, I was like, do you really want people to know you for harpsichords and classical music? Like, is that your signature? Or do you have more to say musically? Mm-hmm. And that was what I asked myself on this record. Like, that's what I wanted to kind of say, like, hey, I'm not, that's that's not me. I'm not just that classical person. I'm also capable of doing 
things that have nothing to do with classical music. So that was kind of where I, I landed and what motivated me. Okay. I'm, well, you know what? I love your after Amadeus moment. This is, <laughs> this is it's a really good album. And uh, I'm not just saying that because we're friends. Like, I really like this album. Thank you, Ira. Yeah. And I actually enjoy it better than the last one. Not to pit two bad bitches against each other, but, you know, change phobia, I really enjoy it. I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy the next one even more. That th- Then I would know that I was really doing my job. Okay. Just trying to continuously make better and better albums. But I actually haven't listened to my first album in a really long time. Mm. I'm thinking about it like I want to set a date maybe like a year from now. It'd be kind of fun to listen to that again. Yeah. Well, I mean, are you going to listen to it before you start touring? <laughs> or are you just going to like play them for memory? <laughs> That's that's interesting. I think it's a different thing though when you're listening to something with an objective or if you're just kind of listening to it to enjoy it. That's fair. Okay. A little different. Cool. Well, I will now forever bother you about when I'm going to hear your bangers. So <laughs> you have that to look forward to. <laughs> cool. Uh, and thank you for being here. Thank you for returning. The return. I'm so grateful to be back. Back in the hot seat. (laughs) (laughs) Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Over the weekend, the adaptation of Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical, In the Heights, hit theaters and HBO Max to critical acclaim and low turnout. But it was good. I didn't mean for my voice to go up like that, like, like I'm <laughs> pretending I liked it. It was good. I enjoyed In the Heights. I did not. You did not. I mean, mm. we'll get into it. Everything John M. Chu did, like the choreography looked great. The, the immersiveness of the world was well realized, I thought. Mm-hmm. But I thought every character had the same personality. I thought yeah. everybody was like a little bit plucky and a little bit sad and gonna make it work. And it was like there was no distinguishing between their ambitions and all of their storylines were equally minute. Yeah. Like the stakes felt low to me. Except for Abuela. Except for Abuela, who, uh, by the way, Take I your medicine! <laughs> <laughs> Take your medicine, bitch! I watched on HBO Max. I should have gone to see it in theaters, but I actually sat down on Thursday because I thought the first eight minutes were available. And I was like, oh, I'll just watch the first eight minutes. But I guess the whole movie was available. So I ended up mm. watching the whole thing at home. Uh, I had to fast forward through the Abuela stuff because, oh my God. I mean, give me an old person in a movie and I lose it. Coco. Sorry, lost it. Oh, yeah. Up. Ugh. Up. I cried so much during that movie that the people who were sitting next to me got up and moved. Wow. <laughs> Well, it's it's just old people in general doing basically anything. You <laughs> yes, need to yes. you need to not see a cocoon. You need to not <laughs> yeah, see cocoon. Can't see cocoon. Can't, no. can't do it. <laughs> okay, 
I feel like I really enjoyed it because I had, you know, still the muscle memory of seeing it on Broadway. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you went and saw a Broadway show? that I've ne- I'm blown away that you went and got to the theater. You don't bring <laughs> it up. It's crazy. Go ahead. Well, as you know, I did go to the Parsons School of Design. Oh, okay. That's your new brag? Yeah. <laughs> Famously a Parsons student. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I saw it on Broadway more than once because I entered the lottery a bunch of times. Mm. So uh, it was enjoyable to watch. Although I will say that there's a lot you could cut from In the Heights. Oh, yeah. Uh, because Lewis is right in sort of the depiction of the characters and also um, slong. You know, there's, there's, yeah. there's chunks of the movie where I'm like, what are we doing here? I will say the framing device was cute until the end. Did not like the way that the film was framed because I feel like um, it's basic lying to the audience. Um, you know, you have yeah. Usnavi telling a story and it seems like, you know, he, he left New York City. You know, it's like he's on the beach. And then you realize at the end that he's not on the beach. Um, he's like imagining he was on the beach. Uh, and I think that is um, inappropriate and rude uh, in <laughs> storytelling. I believe I was misled as well in that regard. And I feel like they could have, the simple solution is just put him on the beach and they're there on vacation. You know, he yeah. moved, mm-hmm. but he realized that home is home and he never wants to move permanently. Um, mm. I found it really hard to be objective about the movie. I don't know whether I liked it or didn't like it because as a Latina in media, I was just so thrilled that it existed. Oh, yeah, totally. That it existed and the drama that has kind of ensued Mm -hmm. in the last few days has been so interesting to witness. Mm -hmm. That's how I felt with Soul Plane. Just so happy it existed. (laughs) I I still can't criticize it. Talented Mr. Ripley here. Oh, my God. White people (laughs) looking so shiny, which we need. (laughs) We just need that um but yeah i i really i i enjoyed watching it but i was so and i have been so nervous and anxious about how it's going to be portrayed in the media and how it's going to be received by people because and this is the unfortunate element of the fact that there's only one big latin blockbuster that happens every few years this has to mean everything to all latin american consumers which is so frustrating because it ends up having to be everything to all of us even though we are not a monolith and it's going to be impossible to service every you know in or facet of, of Latin American representation, but uh, it becomes this thing that that everybody wants to succeed so badly that we're more concerned about how it's being uh, received than what we actually think about it. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. The, I mean, like, there's this no debate about there not being enough Afro-Cuban representation in the movie, correct? Yeah, Afro-Latinx, yeah, representation oh, yeah. in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is called In the Heights, and it is set in the Washington Heights, and I did live in the Washington Heights, and it is it, the movie is a little light. Yep. For what the Washington Heights was, okay? Yeah. It's a really valid criticism, and I'm glad that we're having that conversation because colorism is a thing in in the Latinx community. Uh, and I don't think that it was malicious, but I just think that it it shows an oversight in the kinds of uh, you know faces that we traditionally see when it comes to Latinx representation on camera. And yeah, I mean the fact that it's about Washington Heights, which is a community that is very diverse uh, in terms of you know the faces of uh, colors that we see, I, I think that it missed the mark on that. But 
though that is a valid issue, I, I also think that the problem is that there's just, there's only one in the Heights. And if there were many, you know, if there are other projects that we could turn to, if there were other films that we knew totally. were coming out, mm-hmm. then we don't have to place all of our hopes and dreams on this one film. But because there are so few, there's just so much that we require in order to be satisfied by a movie that's created by and led by a Latinx cast. Um, and it's really frustrating. And and to me, the, the bigger concern is, is this going to signal to the gatekeepers of the entertainment industry that Latino communities are not worth taking a chance on or are too fragmented to try to portray? And my my belief is that that is very cowardly. My hope is that uh, this actually signals to people that there is a big, passionate and growing and burgeoning Latino community that wants to consume and we want to see projects that represent what we look like. So now is the time to double down on that audience and to green light a billion different projects because clearly there's a hunger for it and an audience. Um, that mm-hmm. I think is a pivotal point that we're at that I'm, I'm so, I, I'm hopeful to see, but you know, to the point that that's been brought up a couple times now, those, the, the fact that the box office was not great for the movie in the first week is, is a little scary. Yeah. Mind you though. I mean, it's such a bizarre time to go back to the movies, period. Like, yes. I, I went and saw it in a movie theater, and I don't even remember the last movie I saw. Like, I, maybe Bombshell a year and a half ago. Not a good movie to go out on. <laughs> ba- yeah. Bad choice, Lewis. Um, but, I mean, I just read today that, like, 34% of vaccinated people feel nervous about behaving normally in society. So, because we're in this gray area zone, I feel like people shouldn't read too far into this didn't get the box office results we necessarily wanted, even though right. A Quiet Place 2 has done mysteriously well. Yeah. Not that it's not well-reviewed or anything, but I got my eye on that movie. How did that happen? Anyway. Well, I mean, you know, people do love that um, jingoistic American cracker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want to talk about Kylie Jenner um, ratcheting up to a level of fame um, so quickly. I know that this man was on The Office, but the way that John (laughs) Krasinski has like whipped up white Americans into standing him so hard, it should be examined. (laughs) Right, right. Is it just because he's Jack Ryan and, you know, white Americans love, you know, um, military people shooting people in the face? Like, is that what it is? I have no idea. It's that it's those approachable cheeks. I mean, that's what's going on. Right? I think so. He is he he is attractive. It might have know? been the switch from Jim to Jack Ryan. It's the fact mm. that we saw him evolve into yeah. you know a hot action hero. I guess the Chris Pratt model. Yes, I am mm-hmm. not ashamed to say. You know, I'd, yes. I'd fuck John Krasinski on an American flag. Okay, well, <laughs> not a question that was posed. So interesting that you had a response to it. But an answer um, we needed. An answer we needed. <laughs> but by the way, I want to say about In the Heights that to me, the triumph of it is a, a excellent spotlight role for Daphne Rubin Vega, who we yes. still mm. mainly know as the original Mimi from Rent. Right. And it's this name that lingers in pop culture, but we don't see a lot of her. And mm-hmm. she really, to me not only has a lot of personality in the movie or has the main personality in the movie because the other ones feel pretty static to me. Mm-hmm. Um, she, got, I think, gets the best song, which is in the salon about the gossip. To me, that's the funniest part of the movie, too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That scene and that song is iconic. And also, 95,000 was a highlight in the stage show and it's definitely the highlight in the film. The the dance the sequence. The lotto ticket uh, sequence, yeah. 
love it. The By the way, as somebody who loves scratchers, and I think I just mentioned that I was in Texas visiting my family a couple weeks ago, I went, hey, I'm on some scratchers. I, I love, love a scratcher. Love I love, I, I love, I love lotto tickets. Uh, <laughs> definitely always used to get them at the corner store in Milwaukee, got them at uh. the bodega in New York. And uh, recently I was on a uh, cross-country trip in the South, and like every gas station we stopped at, I always had to get yes. uh, a scratch off. So, but doesn't it? I know this is a sidebar, but doesn't it feel strange and foreign to get scratchers here in California? For me, it does. I don't do it here. It's only when I'm home. It's only when I'm in mm. the Midwest. I can't do it in California. I do it sometimes when I'm buying like uh, gas or I'm getting like a Red Bull before my night out. Um, but it does. Mm. It isn't in my um, immediate sort of like senses to get one here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really engrossed once upon a time with the McDonald's Monopoly game, which was a sort of democratized sure. version of Scratchers for Absolutely. like that a children that children could understand. Mm-hmm. The idea that I could leave McDonald's with a new sea do, I don't know, that really <laughs> spoke to me. I think I'm I'm very influenced by the prices right. So the prizes aspect really um, mm. thrilled me. Yes, yes. Oh, I was gonna say one thing about about in the heights, uh, another another element that I was thinking along the, the lines of the conversation about representation. I, I think that we're I feel like we're overlooking the fact that the representation of an undocumented character in this movie is mm. really brilliant. I mean, I thought it was the character who had some funny moments, who wasn't just like stressing out about his documentation status during the course of the movie, uh, which is which is a rarity. I feel like most often when we when we, with the exception of Nico Santos on Superstore, who I think is a triumph, mm-hmm. um, generally when we see undocumented characters, they're just you know enshrouded with this fear of like being found out, and that's their entire storyline. I thought that In the Heights represented an undocumented character who got to have a little more depth, and that was great. So in the conversation about representation, I just I think it's important to bring up the elements, you know, whether it's Daphne Rubin Vega, who we haven't seen in a while, whether it's an undocumented character, Anthony Ramos, who's somebody who, you know, the, the film has now broken in a way that I, I, I'm so excited to see what he does next. I thought he was mm-hmm. brilliant in this movie. He is fantastic. He's fantastic. I'm, I'm remiss that I have not seen... Um in treatment this season right. yet because I hear that his episode with um, Uzo uh, is fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm already stressed out watching, talking to my own therapist. I've never <laughs> been a fan of the original in treatment because it's stressful TV. I do think the original in treatment is like underrated prestige television because it's television that exists to spotlight guest characters in really mm-hmm. awesome ways. Like I remember Mia Wasikowska on that show. That was the episode <gasps> where I saw, oh, you're going to be a huge star. And I'm still wondering what the fuck happened. I guess we did give her Alice in Wonderland. But, <laughs> mm. but Diane Weist, obviously brilliant. And so. yeah. Of course, of course. Alice yeah. in Wonderland launched so many careers. Well, <laughs> It's just like Tim Burton has made a career now for like 25 years of making things you already thought he made. Like he's, you're, he's working yes. on the Adams family now. It's like, you didn't do that before. Mm-hmm. You know, at Alice in Wonderland, you don't, you don't have like a comic book about Alice in Wonderland out in the world. I think so. I was talking to maybe my barber or someone else about this um, because I have a Batman tattoo um, that I got after Prince died. Uh, and it has the Prince logo by it too. And it's to signify that my favorite Prince album is the Batman album. Uh, and that also, I love that film. And he was like, oh, I love that film, the Batman Returns. It was like, yes. Uh, and he was like, are you a Tim Burton fan? And I said, I don't know. No, you yeah, know? right. Because he is even wilder than most directors, you know, who have sort of like an off film and then a great film. Like uh-huh. he's he's truly hasn't had even a film that I care to rewatch 
since Big Fish. Ooh. Right. I think he's also just somebody who it, it's so not just aesthetic dri- driven, but a specific aesthetic. And once you've had enough of it, you don't need more of it. Mm-hmm. So he keeps delivering that, generally speaking. And like there are like Ed Wood is underrated in certain ways. Yeah. I would say it's like a better version of the disaster artist if you've ever seen that movie. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's an easy thing to be over, especially when it's out of vogue, because he was very in vogue for a while. Anyway, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to do this to our conversation, but anyway, yes. No, no. In fact, if I could just add one thing, the thing that I do want more of from Tim, Tim Burton is uh, more about his relationship with Helena Bonham Carter, because that's a mm. that's a household I need to know about. Right. Yeah. Whatever that was, I just need to know what was going on there. Right. Yeah. Whatever he was drawing upon in his earlier stories, yeah. um, that made you know like uh, the Batman movie was so great that made um, Edward Scissorhands. Um, yeah. Um, so beautiful. I, I need that again. I feel like he's definitely on autopilot with, you know, giving you an aesthetic and giving you mm-hmm. that feel that he used to deliver. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe he needs to go personal again because I also think there's, we don't know much about Tim Burton as a person. Right. W- which is interesting. But maybe mm-hmm. Helena does. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Helena, one of the great interviewees, by the way, if you ever bored. I'm somebody who does this a lot recently. Maybe this is something I picked up in the pandemic and my YouTube just knows me. But just watch one person's interviews like for an hour straight. I'm very obsessed with the cast of the Mary Tyler Moore show right now. Uh, but Helena Bonham Carter, brilliant interviewee when she does interviews, which I usually see in print, but look her up. She's great. Lisa Kudrow, fabulous interview. Uh, you could spend all day listening to her. Yes, I love mm. it. I love that. But I, I also wanted to add that Anthony Rabos is my second favorite performance in the movie. He really does uh, carry it with a sense of not just relatability, but his drive does feel real. He, what he wants feels the realest, like the realest part of the movie, I think. Mm. I think that's totally fair. And and I also think that like, you know, box office be damned when it comes to movie musicals, people will continue to discover them indefinitely. And I think that, you know, In the Heights is going to be one of those movies that people will discover for decades to come. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think it's a worth I think it's a worthwhile investment. I think it's a beautiful watch. I think it's fun as hell. Um, but I also uh, admit that I think I'm I, I might not be the most objective viewer because I also want it to do well and I want it to be so good. So mm. I, I'm just more invested in it than I think I am with most movies because again we don't get that many movies in this in this ilk for us for for, for mm. Latin Americans. So um, well, if you are yeah. disappointed in the representation of In the Heights, do not worry because <laughs> West Side Story is coming out very soon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What a crazy year for the Golden Globes not to exist because we actually have a competitive (gasps) musical slate this year. That's so right. Oh, my God. That's a disappointment. If if I'm not mistaken, we haven't had a Best Picture category at the Oscars with two musicals in it since the year Oliver won, which is 1968. Mm. um, What was it up against? Oliver was up against, of course, Funny Girl, which which is an iconic movie that is also unbelievably long. Oh, my God. (laughs) Unforgivably long. And Omar Sharif, a B-minus as an actor, gorgeous. Also, A-plus facial hair. (laughs) A-plus creator of um, Hot Gay Sons, though. Oh, yes. Uh, grandson. Jr.? Grandson. Oh, is, yes. is his grandson? That's correct, mm, yes. Wow. He is hot. And he used to follow me on Twitter. Um, <gasps> another, 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 another. Well, you remember, I'm banned. Oh, right. You have the ban. I forgot about the ban. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. As grande. Every time, every, as grande. Every, every, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think that my tweets had more Latinx representation than In the Heights. <laughs> 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 like to think an important verbiage there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Before I get canceled, when we're back, keep it.
We're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. I always love doing this. It's so much fun. And Grace, you're back. So we're going to let you go first. I'm back, baby. I'm back with a hot one. Get ready. Buckle up. Ooh. Strap in. Get on your get on your goggles. I don't know why you need goggles for this. Um. You're like you're, you're like a, a, a maniacal roller coaster operator or something. I mean, so she's herself in. She's giving yeah, she's giving us Margot Channing right now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes I am. It's gonna, it's gonna be, be a bumpy day, night. evening, and night. Yeah. <laughs> a whole well, damn week. A whole damn week. All right. So I'm curious what you guys think about this. My keep it is to any events that begin at or after 8 p.m. I can't do it. I can't do it. I wish I could. Wish I had it in me. I don't have the stamina anymore. I'm exhausted. I like to go to sleep early. Uh, My body tells me when it's time to call it for the day. And it's, you know, 9 o'clock at night. So for events that start at 8 or 8.30 or 10 p.m., I can't hang. I can't do it. Mm. It's tough for me. Mm. I might be alone here. I know I'm missing out on a whole world of experiences that happens when the sun goes down because eight o'clock is, by the way, still sunlight hours here in Los Angeles uh, during the summer. So I understand that I might be a weird anomaly, but I got to say, guys, it's real tough for me to stay up past 10 p.m. these days. Okay, two questions for you. One, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 36. 36. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. here's my second question. Yes. Are you aware how Ira conducts his weekends? Specifically, <laughs> this past fucking weekend? See, in many ways, I feel like I can live vicariously through Ira, so I don't actually have to live it myself. I can. Okay, that's going to work out for you in the health department. Because <laughs> Okay, first, first of all, I, I will not have this onus thrown just on me. Lewis and I are famously gay men who live in Los Angeles, so we go to events right. that start at... 12.30 a.m. <laughs> sure, one, whatever. Now, I, I will say, Grace, I'm waning a little bit. I do really enjoy sleep, and I like being active yeah. early in my weekend yes. days. So mm-hmm. I am, my, my participation in a 5 a.m. event is waning a little bit. Mm-hmm. That said, I feel like there's a hunger among gay men to keep the deep part of the night a part of your life, specifically. I don't sure. know what it is. Like, I think there's also specific FOMO to gay culture where... You just want to be where the action is because so much of our lives are sort of like, you know, just mixing with normals. <laughs> and so you want to be with the abnormals in a real serious way. Mm-hmm. But Ira is really burning the midnight oil and the 6 a.m. oil. So, oh, well, you know what? Call me Corona because I love the rhythm of the night. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Call you Al DeBarge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but. To sort of agree with that because I am getting older and, you know, the the hangovers do come and, you know, I do just sort of sleep during the day. Uh, It helps that I'm a um, screenwriter and don't keep, like, regular daytime hours as well. If I worked a nine to five, Mm -hmm. I would not be able to have the life that I lead. Um, But... I will say that I do prefer a day party. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? And so, like, yes. I love, like, a log day party. L- Lewis and I were at a lovely day party this past weekend, and I feel mm-hmm. like a day party is fun because then you've had the fun during the day. You're enjoying the sun. You know, like, mm-hmm. you can still see, like, people's face. The person that you're talking to, you still, you know that they're attractive because it's the, the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Like, there's it's no not enigma. night. It's not night. You know, there's there's not, like, different lighting you're not figuring things out um so i do enjoy a day party because then that ends and you're sort of at home like watching a tv show um getting high and then Mm. going to bed i Mm. enjoy that and as opposed to parties and things that start at nine or ten you know what i do love i do love a late dinner Mm. like a european give me a nine o'clock dinner reservation and i am 
there. I will say something about late night events that I don't like is like, obviously when we're talking about the stuff Ira and I go to, like the socializing goes away and it becomes like an uns uns thing, which is <laughs> fine. And like, look, I'm, I love being lizard brained and just like zoning out with a bunch of dudes, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm really ignited by talking like verbalness mm-hmm. really gets me going. Mm-hmm. And so verbal elation. There we are. Elation. Yes. <laughs> and I prefer, and you get so much of that at a daytime party. So. Now, here, here's mm. a question about a 9 p.m. dinner. Is that the event, or is the 9 p.m. dinner the segue into the rest of the night? It can be both. Okay. But I okay. feel like uh, whenever I'm traveling with friends, too, um, and you're trying to get like into a restaurant, uh, it's easier to get a later reservation. Sure. Or if you're just like, you know, like a... In Paris or like London or something, it's like you're doing things during the day or especially if you're a person who enjoys theater, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You're always going to have to have dinner afterwards because, you know, when I'm visiting New York and um, seeing a show, it's like, friends like, oh, do you want to have dinner? I'm like, are you free at 10.30 p.m.? (laughs) Uh, When I get out of this four-hour-long play. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I I do love a late dinner. And sometimes it's it's even more beautiful when it's just like that's the end of the evening because then you're sitting there and you're having conversation over drinks uh, Mm -hmm. and then the restaurant Mm -hmm. closes and then you head home. Mm I think I, I think I need to start. I think this is just you know pandemic era also talking that I've gotten so accustomed to you know being mm-hmm. asleep at a certain time every night. So I got to spread those wings, guys. Mm-hmm. I got to let nocturnal grace fly. Just like once a month, it doesn't have to be serious. Just like once a month, exactly. You know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go to a late night dinner, Grace. Uh, yes. Have some yes. Kendall Jenner tequila. Yes, I'm, <laughs> in. I'm so in. Ah. Uh, Lewis, what is your keep it? Um, my keep it is slightly uninformed, so I'm going to apologize for it ahead of time because I haven't read this book yet. But as I have expressed previously on this podcast, uh, Sinead O'Connor is just one of my all-time favorite uh, artists. She's somebody who's known for a couple of scandals, obviously the Pope ripping situation on SNL. Mm. Um, she turned down a Grammy early in her career. She killed Natalie Wood. There's, right, yes. That's, which is crazy. She would have been like a 13 years old. <laughs> But uh, she's such a distinct and only could be Irish in the way that she is both garrulous and soulful in the way that she is both spiritual and seemingly completely atheistic in certain ways. Um, But she has a new book, a memoir, and it's I'm so glad we're hearing her story from her own mouth because she's somebody who I think is just maligned and even what are supposed to be objective stories about her. She's somebody whose story is always told in a strange way. Mm -hmm. But my keep it this week specifically is to... We have just let Prince off the hook over the past few years, I think, Mm. generally speaking. I think, and in this book, there's a story about a kind of horrific night she has with Prince where he chases her, hits her with stuff, and then you think think about it, and she obviously had a very abusive childhood. I think hardcore Prince fans have already had to grapple with the weirdness of Prince, and like, he had a protege that he sort of became the legal guardian of and then married her for a while and there, there's lots of str- and there's a story about he another protege vanity he like threw in a pool once and we haven't really put it all together because I think ultimately we are enamored of the mystery of prince and how he kind of lived his life off the grid and we'll never really know what happened and there are a few like firsthand anecdotes of dealing with Prince, really, so you can sort of keep your distance in a, in a way that we used to with Michael Jackson because we didn't really have lots of firsthand uh, information about him for a while. Um, and I think maybe it's just time to think 
something was really the fucking matter with this person, specifically mm-hmm. how he treated women. And I think that's something, it was easy to fool ourselves too because he always had like female musicians with him. He loved gender bending. He seemed to not be freaked out by associations with femininity. So mm-hmm. I Until think later he, in his yeah. life too. Oh, know, right. Where he was right. more right. vocal about, you know, like being associated with like queer culture. Yeah. And then hating things like swear words, which he also rails uh, against Sinead O'Connor about anyway. Go ahead, Grace. Do, do you think that he would be, were he alive today, would he be facing some, you know, court of public opinion consequences in the vein of being canceled or whatever? I think that's probably true. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think these stories would add up in mm-hmm. a serious way. Because when you look at them back to back, it's just gross. Like the composite picture is apparent and disgusting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's also just how we used to allow musicians at that time, uh, male musicians, to behave. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not just him. It's not just Michael Jackson. You know, it's, it's John Lennon. You know, it's like many rock um, stars. You know, I think mm-hmm. it was just sort of the norm that bad behavior outbursts um, were acceptable. Mm-hmm. And people weren't called out on them. And sort of in a weird way, like wrapped in with what is genius about them or what exactly. is strange about them. You know, it's part of the mythology ultimately. Whatever mm-hmm. allows him to do his thing, he should just continue to be able to do is sort of the perception that we had. Now we understand, you know, just because you're a great artist doesn't mean that you can get away with whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. I like to think that we're evolving towards a place where, you know, we have an understanding that great artists do not get a free pass to just act however they want. Mm-hmm. Unless you're right. Roman Polanski, I will love him till the day I die. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. what, a, what a crazy ride or die choice to pick one. <laughs> it is. Wow. Could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ghost Rider so much. Oh, yeah. The Pianist, honey, my number one. Yeah. I watch it over and over again. Just a feel-good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Ira, what is your keep it? Uh, my keep it this week goes to Chrissy Teigen. Mm. Oof. This is a long conversation. Here we go. Yes, I'll, yes. We'll, we'll yeah. try to condense it. All right. Buckle up, guys. Hope you're still buckled up for my keep it. Right. <laughs> well, if they follow instructions, they will be. Yeah. Yeah. As you know, Chrissy Teigen has experienced a lot of quote-unquote soft cancellations uh, recently. I think the first one of recent note really came when um, she and Chris Jenner announced that they were going to start a um, line of household cleaning supplies because I think that, you know, the cult of Chrissy really sort of enjoyed her as a funny, brassy, you know, like um, joke teller on the internet who also would sometimes critique other celebrities and be mean to them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they loved the cookbooks and her um, relationship with John. But I think once like household cleaning supplies got added to the mix, it was like, oh, you just want money and this isn't really about you know like your brand and things you care about you know because like I have the cookbooks here um, and and I think they're actually pretty good um, and you like the personal stories in them I don't know what personal story I'm going to get from um, the Windex that you made mm-hmm. you know uh, and so that I think started sort of breaking the dam um, of you know the veneer she created and it brought up a lot of the criticisms that you know uh Black women had had of her in the past, particularly, you know, when she called um, Kavensene Walls um, cocky. Who was like 11 years old at the time or something. Yeah, you know, um, better than what The Onion did, but Mm. still, you know, kind of wild. And then, you know, there was the resurfacing of 
tweets uh, that she wrote about Courtney Stodden when Courtney Stodden was um, like 16 and married to that creepy man who was in Lost. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, what a specific what a, 2009 phenomenon that yeah. whole thing was. Anyway, yeah, and he uh, was 52 at the time, I believe. I don't right. remember yeah. his name, and I'm I don't need to look it up, but yeah, old, uh, creepy old man. Yeah, uh, that's that's his that's his legal name actually. Uh-huh. Uh, he hadn't changed when he uh, became an actor. Uh-huh. Uh, but <laughs> the tweets were, you know, a lot of tweets like calling her awful, telling her she should kill herself. Um, and then there are also DMs that she sent to her um, saying the same thing and even worse. Uh, and now people are sort of like, okay, that was bullying. Uh, and let's have that conversation. And Chrissy has apologized a couple times for it. And I would say that the apologies are very insufficient. I've read them, like, on her blog. I don't think any apology has ever named Courtney by name. No. Mm. You know? Well, also, well, she's also being called up for saying things to multiple people, like jokes about Lindsay Lohan, in which she said... Telling her to slit her wrists. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah. Well, here's my, here's my response to that. I'm not saying that's an unawful thing to say. But also, I feel like people are a little bit naive about how horrible comedy about celebrities was like was, 10, right. 15 years ago. Because if you read that, if you heard that joke on a celebrity roast, you would not think twice about it. It sounds like a Jeffrey Ross joke or a Lisa Lampanelli joke to me or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm, so there's an entire reckoning that still needs to take place about how we talked about a certain class of, generally speaking, female celebrities around mm-hmm. that time. We started doing it with Britney, you know. Yep, with and Paris uh, re- Hilton, too. Yeah, yeah. revisiting mm-hmm. the uh, monologues that were even said mm-hmm. about these women. But there are countless jokes about every female celebrity um, mm-hmm. of that ilk from that time that not just famous comedians did, that mm-hmm. regular people on the internet tweeted all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And continue to tweet, to be honest. Man, it just t- it takes a lot of time to harass this many mm. people online and to do so uh, over the course of so many years so consistently. That's what was striking to me. And even in her apologies... She just can't stay away from the internet. And I mean, look, a lot of us are addicted to it. I understand. And I know that, Mm. you know, as, as, as Ira, you rightly mentioned, she gets, uh, you know, she has all these sponsorships. She gets money from her interactions with people on social media. So I understand that there's, you know, that element that she's considering, but I just, I just feel like Chrissy Teigen has enough resources to be able to say bye to the internet, to go to the Swiss Alps, to raise her kids for 10 years, come (laughs) back and write the tell all and not fuck with any of this. And the fact that she can't go more than like three weeks with without sending some sort of an apology via the same mediums that she used to harass other people, to me seems like there's an, an addictive quality that goes beyond even just the money. It's sort of like an addiction to the attention of it all or the mm. an addiction to the um, the the ability to connect with so many people and to have her voice out there, which uh, you know is is one of the one of the, the pratfalls of having uh, pitfalls pratfalls pitfalls <laughs> of having of 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 having uh, you know these mediums where we can connect with people so so easily. I think the apologies just seem really transparent, and it mm. it, it all just it, it seems like it's it's in an attempt to preserve those sponsorships for money, and and I also understand if part of that is preserving the the jobs of the people with whom she works. You know, if she said like, listen, I I've got a staff that I want to make sure they're taken care of, and if I don't do my due diligence and make sure that I'm right with the world, then they can't work. But none of that is ever made transparent, so it just it seems really icky, and it seems kind of capitalistic. 
It's definitely that addiction, you know, because uh, I recall her uh, leaving Twitter. Yes, uh, yes, you know, multiple and then coming times. back, mm-hmm. and a lot of people do that, and then like announcing it publicly too mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. is um, also seeking attention, you yes. know. And uh, I listen, I'm I'm there with her because uh, I felt like you know like Twitter was sort of like this push and pull for me where like some of it was fun but some of it felt gross and I really wanted to be off uh, I was able to come up with a very fun way to get myself suspended from the website <laughs> and uh, the, the decision was made for me you know but when she was making her own decision she came back and I think to really dissect this it is you remember how she first gained her yes. uh, attention on Twitter it was um, live tweeting while she was on an airplane, you know? And, like, people got used to, like, oh, oh this model is also funny, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think she then craved the attention of telling jokes and getting people to laugh at her um, and find her funny. And then at some point, you know, she was transitioning into um, a different sort of brand, you know? As I talked about that a bit with T.S. Madison when she was on the show, but, you know, like how she first started with her Vine vids, which were a bit cruel and sexually explicit. Then she realized kids were watching, and she was like, I want, you know, sort of a different brand. And I think Chrissy did really try to shift her brand, but yeah. it's unfortunate that her brand before was, like you said, like a concerted effort to harass a lot of people. Uh, and it's even more unfortunate uh, that um, she can't, really seem to get out a good apology, especially considering what she's gone through. Because, um, listen, I've been in John and Chrissy's home before um, for a event, uh, a political event, uh, and they've been on Pots of America before. And so I've, I've met them backstage and very lovely woman in person. But to talk about the history of her attacking people online, mm-hmm. you also think about the one of the reasons she said she left Twitter, right, was because people kept writing mean comments to her uh, in her mentions. And it's mm-hmm. like, are you missing the disconnect here? Mm-hmm. Chrissy and I have DM'd before. Uh, and she DM'd me once to apologize to me because uh, she responded to a tweet of mine. And that was during the era when um, the, she was part of the Pizzagate, right? QAnon people uh, like yeah, thought yeah. that she was like, you know, like pedophile. killing children, the pedophile, uh-huh. pedophile ring. Uh, and she responded to me saying, I'm so sorry that I pulled these people into your mentions. The attacks are relentless. Like, it's so hard to be on the internet every day with these people constantly in my mentions. And I'm like, what is the part of her that does not see the connection there? (laughs) You know? Well, also, in in her apology, something I wish she had gotten into more, because she does say explicitly, I was a troll, which, all right, I just want someone to explain to me, then why do you become a troll? Like, what, what was the satisfaction in doing it? Because I, to me, I still don't understand the worst of the behavior. Mm-hmm. She, I understand she apologized for it, but I'm kind of like... That was beyond trolling. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know? Like, t- like, take me step by step towards, how did it come to this point, having to say this statement? I'm sure we'll be getting that in the future, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, Because we've all trolled on the internet. Grace Parra, thank you so much for being here. It was an absolute delight to have you on, as always. Of course. We knew it would be. Yeah. You guys are amazing. I am the biggest fan. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support 
every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 